This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jeffrey Pine? Ernie and Ruth Pine were a married couple who lived in Highland Township, Michigan. They had two children, 10 years apart, Jeffrey and Julia. The couple was married for almost 20 years when Ruth started exhibiting mental health symptoms. For example, she went eight days without sleeping. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with psychotic features. Bipolar disorder is characterized by episodes of mania and depression. It is not unusual that during these episodes, psychosis is observed. The psychosis that Ruth had manifested in a few different ways. She believed that there was a tracking device in her bloodstream. She thought that somebody had planted listing devices all over her house, and she hid knives in the headboard of her bed. Her paranoia affected her ability to be treated. For example, she was prescribed antipsychotic medication, but she often refused to take it because she thought it was a form of sorcery. Ruth was in and out of mental health treatment facilities. Life was challenging for the Pine family because of this. But Jeffrey and Julia did well in school and in other areas. For example, Jeffrey was the valedictorian at his high school, and he worked two jobs. On one occasion in 2010, Ruth was struggling to sleep and was off of her medication. Bernie tried to convince her to take it, believing it would help her, but she refused. Jeffrey came into the room as this argument was occurring. Ruth jumped out of her bed, grabbed his throat, and tried to strike him. Jeffrey did not try to fight back. The police were called and Ruth was arrested for domestic violence. Bernie and Jeff petitioned the court to force Ruth to take her medication as Ruth remained in jail for over two weeks. After being released from jail, she was transferred to a mental hospital. She was there for 23 days. When she returned to her family, her attitude about taking medication did not change. She was still against the idea. As this was happening, Bernie found another lover, a woman named Renee, who managed a local retail store. After Ruth caught Bernie with Renee at a local restaurant, Bernie asked Ruth for a divorce. Ruth said that she would do anything to avoid that. She even agreed to take her medication. For a while, everything was good in the family. Bernie would say it was the best place they had been in a long time. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On May 27, 2011, 51-year-old Ruth Pine was bludgeoned and stabbed to death in her house. Bernie had been at work. He returned to the house at about 2.35 p.m. and found her body lying in a pool of blood in the garage. He called 911 and the police responded. Here's what the investigation revealed. Ruth was beaten, then stabbed, 16 times. She was alive when the stabbing started. There was no sign of forced entry. Nothing was missing from the house. There was no sign of a struggle inside the house. Blood stains on the garage door indicated the garage door was closed during the murder. Bernie was the obvious suspect, considering the tumultuous history of his marriage with Ruth and the fact that he had recently been involved with infidelity. However, the police discovered that Bernie was at a retirement lunch for one of his co-workers when Ruth was killed. 
His alibi was confirmed by five witnesses. The police ruled Bernie out as a suspect. They then turned their attention to Jeffrey Pine. They noticed he had bandages on his hands that were covering injuries. He had a number of blisters. He told the police that he injured himself handling a wooden pallet. The police discovered that Ruth had been at a local store shopping on the day that she was murdered. She left the store at about 10.54 a.m. Jeffrey said that he was in the house when his mother arrived from the store and was there with her until 1.30 p.m. when he left to perform yard work at a neighbor's house a few miles away. Ruth was in her bed when he departed. After this, he traveled to an orchard where he worked. His shift started at 3 p.m. If Jeffrey was telling the truth, Ruth was murdered sometime between 1.30 p.m. and 2.35 p.m. The police started digging into Jeffrey's story. Jeffrey had talked about the yard work he did for that neighbor. Her name was Diane Needham. He said that he planted five lilac bushes at Diane's residence. But Diane told the police that those bushes had been planted five days earlier. In addition, a neighbor saw Jeffrey's vehicle in his driveway at 1.40 p.m., 10 minutes after he said he left. Now, a difference of 10 minutes doesn't mean that Jeffrey was lying. He could have just been mistaken. But this narrowed the window down for the crime even more. The police brought Jeffrey in for questioning. He never asked anything about how his mother died or who might be responsible. The police said he was emotionless. Interestingly, Jeffrey never told them that he didn't commit the murder. Jeffrey was arrested and charged with first-degree premeditated murder. He went to trial. The jury was given the option of either first- or second-degree murder, as well as, of course, acquittal. Jeffrey Pine was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 to 60 years in prison. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Now moving to my analysis. Was Jeffrey Pine actually guilty of murder? There's a lot of division on this issue. For example, his father Bernie believes Jeffrey is innocent. Let's take a look at the factors both for and against the idea that Jeffrey was guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. It is unlikely that a stranger murdered Ruth Pine. There was no forced entry into the house, nothing was stolen, and no type of sex-related crime was committed. More force was used to kill her than was necessary. This is often referred to as overkill and is typically associated with a murder victim being killed by someone they knew. 
If a stranger committed the murder, they had less than an hour to do it. How would the stranger have known about that narrow time window? The injuries on Jeffrey's hands are consistent with swinging a weapon. He had peeling blisters on the inside of his hands and thumbs. People who worked at the orchard with Jeffrey said they handled pallets for years and never sustained injuries consistent with the damage to Jeffrey's hands. A three-foot-long two-by-four was missing from the garage, as well as a box cutter. Now, a stranger could have just as easily used weapons of opportunity, but it seems odd that Jeffrey said his hands were injured by wooden pallets, and the murder weapon may have been a two-by-four. Jeffrey left a message for Diane Needham, the neighbor for whom he was supposedly performing that yard work. Here's an excerpt from the message he left on her voicemail. Hey, Mrs. Needham, it's Jeffrey. I've been over to your house a few times. I thought you were coming home. I was just over there for an hour or so, kind of sweeping up, kind of checking things out. I was actually hoping you'd be there. This kind of makes it sound like Jeffrey was hunting for an alibi. Diane Needham indicated that the work that Jeffrey claimed to do in her yard had been completed five days earlier. In addition, neighbors did not see Jeffrey's car at Diane Needham's residence during the time he was supposed to be there. Jeffrey's former girlfriend, Holly Freeman, said that Jeffrey would often become emotional when talking about his mother. His mother's mental illness was something he couldn't handle. Later, Jeffrey cheated on Holly. She suggested that he lied effortlessly. About two months before the murder, Jeffrey's behavior changed. He became withdrawn and his mood seemed depressed. His use of alcohol increased during this time. Ruth had once attacked Jeffrey, so understandably that could make him angry, and he was not happy that his father decided to stay with Ruth. The paramedics at the scene said that Jeffrey was pretending to cry, vomit, and act distressed. The police said that he was pretending to cry at the police station. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. There were no witnesses to the murder, no video, no physical evidence was found connecting Jeffrey to the crime. For example, there was no blood in his car, no blood on his clothing, and no evidence that anyone made any attempt to clean up the crime scene. Jeffrey may have taken a shower to clean off the blood, but there was no blood in the bathroom, including in the drains. Jeffrey did not have a history of violence. His mother attacked him, and he did not react aggressively. On one occasion, his former girlfriend, Holly, struck Jeffrey a couple times, but he never hit her back. He was never violent in their entire history together. When considering all the evidence, do I think that Jeffrey Pine is guilty? I think he is guilty in reality, but I do not think he is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Even though it would not be likely, technically there was an opportunity for a stranger to kill Ruth. A stranger could have knocked on the door, Ruth could have let the person in, and then the person attacked her, perhaps with a weapon of opportunity, or perhaps with a weapon they already had on them. They became scared at what happened and they fled the scene. Essentially, the injuries on Jeffrey's hands represent the only meaningful evidence against him. All the reports of inappropriate emotions come from people who are not qualified to provide that evaluation, like paramedics and police officers. No one knows how a person is going to react to their parents being murdered. It's not like this happened to Jeffrey several times before. The police can't say to him, you know, Jeffrey, you're acting quite a bit different now than you did the first 20 times your mother was killed. 
What's going on there? It does appear as though Jeffrey was lying about doing yard work at the neighbor's house, but perhaps he was lying for some other reason, like he was scared of being accused of murder. If Jeffrey had not come home from work, if he drove somewhere and hid for a few weeks so his hands could recover, that would have certainly looked very suspicious, but he never would have been convicted. Why did he come home knowing that the police would have questions about his injuries? Jeffrey's defense did not call a single witness. Their strategy was to emphasize how the state failed to prove Jeffrey was guilty. There was no direct evidence linking Jeffrey to the murder. What do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. I think Jeffrey was upset that his father and mother were going to stay together. He probably hoped that they would divorce. This would create more distance between Jeffrey and his mother, which is something he wanted because of her bipolar disorder symptoms. Those symptoms caused a lot of strain on the family. Jeffrey was having trouble coping. He was given a glimmer of hope when his father had that affair, but then it was dashed when his mother started taking her medication. In a rage, he picked up a board and beat his mother. She didn't die, so he retrieved a knife and stabbed her 16 times. One could argue that he actually committed first-degree murder because in Michigan, the standard for that crime is whether a perpetrator had time for what they call a second look, meaning did they have time to think about their behavior and change their mind. He did have that opportunity during the time between the beating and the stabbing. Now moving to my final thoughts. Bipolar disorder and other mental disorders which feature psychosis can cause a lot of stress in a family. People often misunderstand the nature of psychosis. They blame the person with the disorder, like they are bad, uncaring, or irresponsible because they have symptoms, like they are choosing voluntarily to avoid treatment. Bipolar disorder can be very frightening. People with the disorder are understandably concerned about others' behaviors, like they become distrustful. Family members and friends often do not understand how pervasive psychosis can be. It's not unusual that people with bipolar disorder end up isolated, cut off from any meaningful support. On rare occasion, not being isolated can be just as bad. As we see in this case, Ruth Pine would have been safer if she had been away from her son. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew, but after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.